As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Pedro Toro loops it over Trivia. Son will keep it in with Kulusevski for support. Gets past Trippier, and it's in by Richarlison. Son the creator again, and this time it is today's centre forward. Great work from Son, just bamboozled Trippier. Hello and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the award-winning uh, Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, the Athletics' Charlie Eccleston, James Moore. Good morning, everybody. Hello, everybody. Um, joyous occasion where most things went right and the team looked uh, like it could play very, very well. And maybe I think without bringing up arguments about the start of the season, a portent of things to come. Let's hope so. After Spurs bounced back from the uh, trauma of the West Ham defeat to win 4-1 over Newcastle. Um, What was different, Charlie, than over recent weeks? Well, they got the second goal was the main thing. I mean, they talk about 2-0 2-0 being a dangerous scoreline in football. But if 2-0 is dangerous, 1-0 is, yeah, treat with a lot of care. Yeah, I, I do think that was a big difference. I mean, I know West Ham wasn't as good a performance in the first half, but they still had the opportunity to kick on and get the second and they didn't really take it. Villa, I thought, you know, they were unlucky maybe not to get the second goal. And here they managed to do it and it just made a massive difference. And especially with that context of the previous five where they had gone ahead and hadn't won, I think... It would have got nervy and a bit jittery if they hadn't got that. The longer it had gone on without that second, they were able to do it and uh, and kick on. And I do think, you know, Son on the left made both of those, uh, the first two goals, and he was absolutely deadly. I think possibly his best performance of the season. I know he got the hat-trick at Burnley. Um, but yeah, I just thought this was him at his most deadly best where... There's just not a lot the opposition fullback can do. And and he went on a few of those runs where he just charged through the middle. There's one in the second half where he was fouled by Lascelles, which was, you kind of want it to be a red card. It wasn't a red card, but you feel it, it should somehow be more. Maybe that's where the sin bending comes in. Yeah, but given some of the things we've seen in the Premier League given as red cards, you could definitely make a case for that's more affecting the game than somebody having the ball booted at them and getting a yellow, which leads to a red and all the rest of it. Uh, we'll talk all about um, Son and Richarlison and the shape that Spurs played in. Um, and James, look, 
I'm going to say it but so that nobody can accuse me of not trying to always cover the bases. Newcastle had two good chances in the first 20 minutes, but Spurs had a dozen good chances in the first 20 minutes. It must have been absolutely rocking in the stadium and great fun, yeah? Yeah, it was great. I mean, we should uh, shout out Ben Davies, really, firstly, for that. For the, what I assume is the first of a chance you're talking about, where Gordon got free in a way that you kind of have to you kind of have to accept what happened in a game like that when you're playing the way Spurs are trying to play. Uh, but for Davis to get across and get that crucial touch at completely flummoxed Isaac, yeah, that that was an incredible moment. I think actually the noise uh, I watched it about this morning, the noise in the crowd, I don't think really did justice to how good it was or how crucial an intervention it was. I think people were so like confused and surprised by what happened, not out of kind of disrespect to Davis, but just the fact that it seemed so obvious that Newcastle would score and then didn't. Did you know what had happened? Did you see that he'd got the touch? Well, I assumed Davis had got a touch, but then when the ball went behind, then it was a goal kick. So we hadn't seen then the touch from Isaac from where I was. And I think because Ben Davis is on the list of players who, inverted commas, Spurs should have got rid of six years ago, and no wonder we can't win the World Club Championship with player X, player Y, and uh, player Z. Um, you have to give credit where it's due. I thought, you know, Really, really, really good. That was the highlight, admittedly, James, but I didn't think he put a foot wrong in the whole game. Um, unlike his centre-back partner, who uh, we'll talk about a bit later. To be honest, I don't think he was exposed by the system too many times after that, really. there were, I, don't, I can't think of too many moments after that where Newcastle kind of got in behind, and that did... I think that was part of the reason it went so quiet when that happened, that there was kind of a sense that, is this going to be a thing they keep doing? And obviously, Gordon has been in brilliant form this season probably one of the best attacking players in the Premier League, actually. And yeah, he, he kind of barely had a sniff again after that, really. I mean, Davis as well, it's not just yesterday. You know, he's come in for six games and he's, I think he's done really well. I mean, obviously he's he he's not fast like Mickey van der Ven. He's never going to play in that way. But we've seen a lot of players coming into this system under Postacoglu. Some have thrived, some have struggled with it. I think he's been really, really good. And you know, it's. I mean, he's still only thirty. I, th- I think everyone thinks of him as a lot older and this like proper veteran. But he jo- he was so young when he joined Spurs. But I just think he's been su- he's been such a good signing. You know, coming up to a, it'll be a decade uh, in the summer since he joined. Uh, yeah, I thought he was really good again, and that and that was a big moment because Newcastle are a pain to play against when they're ahead. Like you, you can imagine the time wasting that would have gone on. We still saw that, by the way. We still saw the time wasting. Yeah, you still exactly. So yeah, really, really important that they didn't concede first. I mean, Davis was one of a load of players who played really well on the day, um, and as a group. I, I want to talk about the, the flow and stuff, but we, some of it seems to have been um, the decision that manager made. Contrary to what he's done prior to play Richarlison as the centre forward and Son wide left, James, um, I don't know why he did that, but of course he's paid much more to know about these things than me. But what you can't argue with is that it was for both players um, a very good decision because Son, uh, as Charlie said, had one of his, maybe his best game of the season so far. And Richarlison, without ever threatening um, you know, to, to be the world's greatest centre forward, you know, got, got his goals and people were pleased for him. So that all worked out. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the other thing with Richarlison was the work rate off the ball was kind of the main thing we had come to expect from him. But that, that actually made quite a big difference in that game because it meant Newcastle couldn't really settle and they couldn't knock the ball around the back. And, you know, we talk about the time wasting. That doesn't just happen when the goalkeeper's got the ball. There is kind of trying to take this thing out of the game by 
playing slowly and he's incredibly aggressive in trying to press. So, yeah, I mean, if the plan was to kind of isolate Son against Trippier and for Richarlison to be aggressive off the ball and attack the box, then you probably have to say that's worked pretty well. He also, his position was... uh... It was kind of comparable to what Kane often did for Spurs. He was really deep. If you look at his average position, he's basically in line with Pedro Porro. So he was doing a lot of that sort of stuff. He was definitely taking up deeper positions. And Son was playing so high right at the start of the game. Because obviously the first thing I was looking for was who's playing centrally, who's playing on the left. And Son was playing on the left, obviously, but he was so high up the pitch. It was as if he was playing kind of as a second striker at times. Um, But also it's worth remembering that this configuration was how Ange started the season with Richarlison through the middle Son on the left and he only changed he didn't change it because of anything Son was doing particularly it was because Richarlison wasn't really cutting it as a striker so Son went through the middle and the reality is look Son is both Spurs's best striker and their best left winger and that's why as we've reported since October you know Spurs want to bring in someone to play in one of those positions in January because the idea of having two players of Son kind of quality in those positions would be would be huge. And, you know, that's not to completely write off Richarlison, but I don't think he's done enough so far this season to suggest he's necessarily the answer. But yesterday was certainly a step in the right direction and suggests that he can have a positive role to play for this team. If Charlie has been mentally and physically 5% off his game um, with the groin injury and stuff that he's announced he's been going through in his mind... um, it, it is understandable because if you're not absolutely on it in the Premier League, you look terrible. You don't come off your game by 5%. You look like someone who's never seen a football before. I do feel with Richarlison as well, just to that point, Danny, about if you're a little bit off, I feel maybe especially for a player like him who he's not the most kind of technically secure. He, he can't rely on that to get him through. It feels like so much of his game is about having that hunger and desire and if that's a teeny bit off... Energy, battle, yeah. Exactly, all of that stuff. Like you saw when he was... His best form in his career probably was when Everton were fighting relegation and he took it upon himself and he he became the focal point for them. And, you know, it's funny because even in the first sort of 10 minutes yesterday, he had that one where he kind of slashed it wide with his left foot. There was one where he tried to bundle through uh, on the edge of the box. And, you know, he he's not a player who always looks the most graceful, but that said, I thought it was really intelligent for his first goal, the way he just dropped a few yards to give Son the angle, which then made it a really easy finish. Yeah, I mean, a really, really positive afternoon for him. His, again, probably his best performance of the season. Yeah, I mean, after the game, um, uh, Ange Apostacoglu said, uh, Rich is healthy now, and I think that's his best position, referring, of course, to his start at centre-forward. The, through the middle, with Sonny, looking at the last uh, few weeks, most of our chances and opportunities have fallen to the wide players. He's still our best finisher, talk about Son, and I thought uh, getting him back to the left would give us some more avenues to score goals. All of that is true, but what was really obvious when it all worked, and it did work here against Newcastle, James, is the the starting positions are the starting positions, but the fluidity of Tottenham's attacks and the interchange of Johnson the full-backs, and, of course, Kulusevsky, who popped up all over the place. I mean, it must have been a nightmare for the Newcastle defenders. Not only are you um, looking forward to a Champions League game in a few days' time, but these people in white shirts and white shorts these days keep coming at you from unusual places. Well, also, I'd say perhaps are coming back into the team. And when we talked last week about how slowly they were moving the ball for the most part against us, Tam. But Saar is far more adept at picking the ball up 
turning and lay it off quickly in a way that, you know, with respect, Hoiberg, Oli Skip to an extent probably aren't. And I, I like his kind of decisiveness with the ball and kind of bravery, like running with the ball in the, in the middle third of the pitch, I think made such a huge difference. It just allowed Spurs just to switch it up way more often than they were like, uh, on Thursday night. And you're right, and obviously Kulazewski in midfield as well uh, clearly made quite a big difference. Like, And again, you know, there were quite a few times in the second half where he was like carrying the ball right through the pitch and Spurs were able to play through Newcastle relatively easily. I mean, you could argue the game had been won by that point in Newcastle's minds were on that midweek game more than anything else. But yeah, it just felt like a massive, massive improvement on that West Ham game. And to be fair, look, they played obviously for the most part very well against Manchester City and against Aston Villa. So we are probably now in a position where if we're being positive, you can kind of write the West Ham game off as a bit of an anomaly maybe. And even in that West Ham game, they still, it was, it was a weird one to lose. I mean, it was a bit of a freak West Ham. It's not like West Ham came out in the second half and created loads. They scored two quite odd goals. And I, and I still think Spurs did enough created enough um, to have won that game. I mean, the, th- the thing that struck me ju- just about the, the, the interchanging, if you were playing um, the, as left back for, um, it was Livramento, wasn't it? Bless him. Um, and uh, left centre back for Newcastle. And you pl- you're asked to close your eyes momentarily. Somebody's got the ball and is coming at you. You'd be hard pressed to know whether it was Johnson, Porro, Saar, Kulisevsky, um, or... Uh, and they, they were—they really did move themselves around. Incidentally, we've said Charleston's best game of the season, Son's best game of the season. It was also Brandon Johnson's best game of the season. I mean, the bar wasn't super high there. He's clearly a talented lad and all the rest of it. But if either of the, you know, he hit the post. Did he hit post once or hit twice? Twice, yeah. It could have been a very different day for him as well. But I thought he was in the game, affecting the game. He he's getting in he's getting in really good positions. I think the prop like there was one against West Ham as well where they worked it out to him on the left and it was in the kind of position if Son gets it, you're thinking he's probably gonna score here. And Johnson hit a fairly tame one. And then here again, he's taking up all the right positions. He's unlucky on this occasion. I think he just he just needs that moment and I th- I think he he could really kick on from there. And just as well, Danny, to sort of quantify how much better Spurs were at creating chances yesterday, their expected goals was three point nine. Their previous best this season was two point three. That I mean, so that smashed it. And even with the boot, the point eight boost of a penalty, that's still way, way in excess of their previous best. Which, by the way, was against Aston Villa. So, because they, they've not created lows this season. Going into this game, they had the eleventh best xG in the Premier League. Their bottom half for chances created, which I think is quite illustrative because. As much as people have said they've been playing thrilling attacking football, often the final pass has been lacking or the final touch, you know, it just hasn't quite been right. But this this was probably their most complete and best attacking performance of the season by some way. Yeah, and, and, and to be fair to, to, uh, to Ange Postacoglu, he has said, um, well, perhaps in exasperation after the West Ham game, it's all very well, you know, messing around with the ball and, you know, uh, being told that's a pretty move and all the rest of it. There's no end product and I don't mean you have to score with every move, but you know exactly what I mean. You must threaten the opposition's defenders or their goal. Um, there are loads of teams over the years in the Premier League who have played what I called handball, where you're passing it around on the edge of the opposition box without hurting anybody. Postacoglu said this when they were top of the league in October ahead of the Crystal Palace game. So, you know, that they hadn't quite clicked in an attacking sense. So it, it, has, been, it has been apparent for a little while. And since we have the joyous luxury that we have to, this morning 
um, of being able to pick this Spurs player, that Spurs player, said he did well, he did well, he did well. Um, top of the tree for me, and it's all a matter of personal taste, was, was Destiny Doggy, who, as the producer pointed out to me on WhatsApp during the course of the game, was fulfilling my dream, my long-held dream of a Spurs fullback who who turns up on the penalty spot, um, uh, you know, 15 times in the course of a game. I loved that he was that far forward for his goal. I think he was back to somewhere nearer the level from the start of the season. I, I, I do wonder whether that red card against Chelsea might have kind of knocked his confidence a little bit. It was a really good performance again from him. And you're right, I mean, that goal is probably kind of the ultimate vindication for that kind of, for, for the role, basically, isn't it? For a fullback to attack the near post, actually, really, wasn't it, I guess, in a way. Uh, yeah, it's just not something you, <laughs> you're going to see in any other team, more or less. Um, I can't think even like Man City when they were playing them inverted fullbacks. Who, who, the, who would the fullbacks have been? Would they have been? I can't really imagine. Cancelo was one of them, but the, but he didn't play in that same. The thing is as well, like what's what's interesting. Spurs' inverted fullbacks is very different from what's tended to have gone before because most teams, Pep City included, have inverted one of them. What Spurs do, which is so different, is to invert them both. And and we've seen you know some of the issues with that. The central areas can get a bit congested against low blocks. But when it works, and yesterday for that first goal, Porro's involved in the build-up earlier as well. Uh, it's amazing. And yeah, I called it the platonic ideal of a Postacoglu fullback yesterday because it's a doggy. He gets it in centre mid, plays a 1-2 essentially with Son, and then goes and finishes it. And we've just written a little story that he's agreed a new contract. So... He was already on a long contract anyway, but you know this um, will tie him down for for a long while, give him a boost of sa- uh, his salary, and you know he he fully deserves that because he's been he's been brilliant. Any negatives? We all look at James. I mean, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, long, long silence. Yeah, I'll start. Christian Romeros, mate, come on. He could have easily got himself sent off again there. And that's a four-game ban if he does for a second straight Reds. Which is you know, over over a tenth of the season again. We love him. As a defender, you know, he's so good. Nearly scored again yesterday, by the way. Um, was Almiron who cleared it off the line. But this, this is not going to work long-term, this thing of going in uh, crazily at, at balls. And often often in positions where there's nothing to be gained. Spurs were three or four up when he did that. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear you don't want to take that out of his game. I do want to take that out of his game. Yeah, you definitely do. Because as Charlie says, if he, gets, if he does get sent off for it, which is definitely like within the realm of possibility, then he's banned for four games. And we're kind of back where we were defensively, you know, last uh, earlier in last month. So yeah, you do you do need to take that out of his game. And it, it does seem, you know, we were saying six, seven weeks into the season that it looked like it had gone. And since Chelsea, yeah, it does sound, seem like it's come back a little bit. We were praising him for the, did he go five or six games at the start of the season without receiving a yellow card? Or did he even make a foul? Was it not that he, he hadn't made a foul? Neither him nor Van der Ven committed a foul in the first uh, four games. Clearly upset him, that stat. <laughs> he sought to redress that. <laughs> the sending off one, I'm not arguing with a red card. I think you could say he got the ball. It was a slightly more honest attempt, well, actually a massively more honest attempt to get the ball. The number of times between that red card against Chelsea and yesterday that people have tweeted, if Romero had done that, he would have been sent off. Well, I mean, you know, he made a pretty bad challenge in that game and hasn't been sent off. So It's so stupid and it would have completely changed the mood and the emphasis of what we're talking about today because... If if that if he had been sent off for that, 
And who knows? I mean, Newcastle weren't going to come back into the game, but maybe it finishes 3-1 or whatever. But it's not even how the game finishes. But we'd be all saying now for four games, they're scrabbling around again for a centre-back pairing. It would, And it would have, I think it would have left a really sour taste. And then a worry of like, I think you then legitimately have worries like, you know, can you can you have someone in your team who's getting... I mean, that would have meant he would have missed seven of the first, like, 20 games or something of the season. I mean, through through Bandits. That's almost half. That's extraordinary. Straight red cards are really... Uh, they're properly, I guess, punished in the Premier League. You, you, you miss about 8% of the season for one straight red. You get two... Um, and and you're 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 into Sergio Ramos territory, aren't you? You know, you're, you're... to be honest as well. Romero basically missed four with that first game because it was such an early red card, and that game went on for about three days against Chelsea. So I mean, he's basically already missed four games. Yeah. Um, listen, that, that was all based on an email we got uh, from um, Fergus. Uh, remember, you can email us at vftl at theathletic.com. Um, he said Romero is a fantastic ball playing centre back, but he should have gone on Sunday for the awful challenge. It feels like he really cost us. He could really cost us more than he already has this season. Clearly, has learned nothing from the Chelsea performance. And then he makes the point about the context of the tackle. If he can't keep his head at three 0 up in a game we're controlling with ten minutes to go, is there a chance he could be perceived as too much of a liability for the long term under Ange? It's infuriating. So much talent, but these moments where he loses control is a major flaw in his game. Look. Um, it's something he probably can take out of his game, and I think for the good of Spurs, he should try to do it. I guess about the other thing, the not a negative, but a colleague made the point to me yesterday that as fans, we tend, you know, our confirmation bias is such that we'll always remember, be like, we're, we're, it's so unfair. We always have to play this team at the worst possible moment. What you know? Why do we never get the luck? I think they played Newcastle at a pretty good time yesterday. I mean, not just injury ravaged, but having been injury average for so long that they've played this the same outfielders the same ten outfielders I think have played the last five games really short constricted period and they look knackered they've been able to change a goalkeeper what more do you want <laughs> yeah he looked all at sea uh, Dubravka and Charlie of course if Newcastle were winning these games we'd be saying of course um, consistency of selection has played a huge part <laughs> yeah they have beaten Chelsea and Man United in this run-up and they have, of having so many injuries. I mean, you're right, look, obviously that is a factor and clearly, again, Spurs have had plenty of injuries too. Um, but, you know, they've fatigue is clearly the thing. They have coped pretty well with it, I'd say. This is from Joel Keane, um, who asks us on Twitter, uh, is Saar the most underrated player in the squad? Well, today we, we think they're all great, don't we? I think earlier in the season, Saar was getting quite a lot of love. Um, Kudusevsky would I've argued was probably had that uh, title though now he has got some love I think people maybe forgot about how good Saar was and maybe underestimated just how important he was and I think he's maybe a little bit one of those players that only when he's not playing do you realise how good he is because Spurs have lacked so much you know the energy he provides and, and the positional instincts he has I think is maybe underrated we think you know because he he's so eye-catching with the way he runs he's so leggy that we kind of think of him as all energy but he's very smart he takes up really good positions and makes Basuma look so much better makes the fullbacks look so much better um so maybe he is underrated to an extent I mean I'm not saying this is necessarily the case yet but on the basis of what we saw yesterday I, I do actually think you can make a pretty strong argument that he is one of Spurs most important players if he's able to facilitate so many other players playing so much better, then you, you kind of you've got to say that. Yeah, I guess he he 
I can't work out yet. As I said, I'm, 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 I'm happy to say I'm still trying to work out what Spurs do, uh, as I'm sure other teams in the Premier League are doing or have done. Um, I can't work out whether his ability to be all places at once um, was facilitating the rotation of the forward players or whether um, he, he, he was adding to a kind of chaos. I'm not sure exactly whether, I mean, presumably it's, it's all planned out in training. I mean, it does make me think, like, I know we're always asked this question about what Spurs' best midfield and, you know, the chance of them all four that we think of as being contenders, being fit, is, you know, that would just be a dream. But I do wonder the extent to which, you know, it might be that Benton Kerr comes in for Basuma. I've always assumed Basuma's undroppable, but I don't think he's been so good this week. And I imagine there'll certainly be some games where you could play Benton Kerr as the six and then have Sarah and Madison as the two eights. The team they played yesterday, this was the piece I wrote after the game, I do think feels pretty uh, pretty good. For the first time since the Chelsea game, you looked at the team, you're like, that's actually quite good. You know, they're, they're getting play- they've got players back. They're not going to get many back between now and the end of the festive period. This, this 11 with Kudasevsky in the kind of Madison role is probably about as strong as they've got right now and it's, it's good. I mean, also the fixtures over Christmas. I mean, I, I, I'm not talking about the strength of the team. I'm talking about like the rhythm of the matches, how often they're coming. Like it's not the most punishing I think I've ever seen. It's fairly evenly spaced out. And that might, it, I, you know, and we'll touch wood here, like assuming, hoping there are no more injuries, which <laughs> maybe is uh, unlikely in the circumstances. But if they can keep that team together and play that in or as close as possible to that in every game between now and January. I mean, they've got a decent chance in those matches looking at it on paper. Their next four games is basically no different from the previous four games. They've basically got a full week between the next two and then they've got a Thursday-Sunday turnaround just like they had just now. It's not, I, I you know, we all think of Festivere as being this crazily congested period, which often it is, but it's not this season. There's basically one, sometimes they have three rounds where this season they've got two. So, yeah, they might have to make a couple of changes in that Sunday to Thursday one, um, but they shouldn't be having to make loads, I don't think. I don't want to discuss it on this podcast, um, January, because um, so much can happen between now and then. Also, I don't want to spoil the vibe that we've got going, Um, but it is a simple fact. I mean, Jürgen Klinsmann, bless him, um, confirmed, as if it needed confirming, that Son will be required for the upcoming Asian Championship which means that come first month of the of next year, which is two or three quarter weeks away, um, there will be definitely at some stage no Saar, no Bissouma, no Son, pretty much certainly no Madison, no Benton Kerr, and no Van der Ven. United away and Brentford at home are those two games, and then and then you're into February, and then it's a question of how well those teams do, and obviously all Spurs fans will be eagerly watching Marley's results, desperately hoping they lose. I mean, United away, is that's, that's tough that they're going to be without so many players. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, and congratulations. The Optimism Award um, this week goes to Stu Lin. Um, who on uh, Twitter just asked the question, could we? <laughs> well done, Stu, for dusting that off. Now, this is not a question, but it's a picture that was sent to us by Morton uh, Nicolaisen of Vicario winding up Callum Wilson after the game. Wilson appeared to be very, very upset, and then he tried to defuse the situation. I mean, he talked afterwards about a lack of respect and there being ways to win. I mean, this has been very well covered on Twitter before now. But obviously, this is a guy who on a podcast was, I would say, sort of quite disrespectful to Rich Allison last season uh, before it became clear that he had problems off the pitch. But regardless, I, I would say sort of quite <laughs> quite over the top in that he's kind of mocking of another professional. I don't know. It, maybe it's different on a podcast. Maybe there's different rules on a podcast to, to on the football pitch. But yeah, I was, I was amazed by his... Reaction in the moment, you kind of expect you kind of expect players to kind of be rattled by stupid stuff. But uh, that's that's football, that's sport, that's life. But for him to then go on TV afterwards and moan about it, with a really smug look on his face. There's more history with Wilson as well. Do you remember after that ludicrous VAR penalty, the Eric Dyer, Andy Carroll one in twenty twenty September twenty twenty, the handball. Yeah, the handball one, and he was interviewed, and rather than you know, saying, yes, it is a bit mad or whatever. He's just like, no, I love it. I'm really pleased I got my goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I think Spurs fans, will re- even before the Richarlison stuff, didn't like him much. So, yeah, I mean, that would have felt particularly sweet yesterday for them. But, I mean, on his Instagram story, I'm going really deep now, on his Instagram story afterwards, Vicario said, uh, respect is given, dot, 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 to everyone that respects me. So I don't know whether there's a suggestion that Something has been said or done earlier in the game, maybe. Who knows? To be fair to Wilson, 
Afterwards, in one of the interviews I saw on the TV, he was doing his best to play it all down and saying, you know, what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. Where I think his phrase was, we're all grown men um, and, you know, we got past it. Um, we could start looking forward uh, to the next games. We could start looking forward to the transfer window. We could start looking forward to January. But two things about that. One, why we want to spoil the exuberant mood that has uh, infected today's show. And two, what we do on Thursday. So, Listen, thank you both very, very much. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, James. Uh, James, very quickly, because I can only see the top third of you. Are you wearing a Clash shirt? Yes. Yeah, that, that is very much approved of by the presenter of the, of the podcast. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Charlie, I'll expect you to buck up your band T-shirt wearing uh, in, in, in forthcoming editions of the program. Thank you all for listening as well. And to remind you, the show has its own official home on Twitter these days, at VFTL Podcast. Or you can email us as people have successfully done with questions and comments that often do get on here. Um, that's a vftlathletic.com. And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, thanks to my colleagues there at The Athletic, make sure you sign up to the product itself. Take advantage of our latest offer, just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. Thank you all very much for listening. See you next time. The Athletic.